0: There's a quote there on the bottom of that page, too. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a man's heart by J.I. Packer. I want to read you another quote from Jamie Buckingham. I don't know if anybody knows Jamie Buckingham. Okay, anyway. Um, He wrote a book called The Last Word. And in there he said, Having tasted from the sweet spring of intimacy with God, we will never again be satisfied with lapping from Earth's polluted puddles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the goal, right? It's to stop drinking from the polluted puddles that most people gather around here and start drinking from the sweet spring of intimacy with God. There's a, something I like about a quote from C.S. Lewis <coughs> that he wrote in... Uh, forget what book. I'd have to look up the footnote here. Oh, the weight of a sermon that C.S. Lewis gave called The Weight of Glory, and I think that's also been put into a book, so if you wanted to look it up. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Did you hear that? He's saying, if there lurks in minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, that's not from Christianity. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis. And if you yes. Lewis, I mean, he's a great thinker, right? He's basically saying that if we will pursue this walk with Jesus this life in the spirit we will gain far more satisfaction and joy in our lives than whatever the world you know can try to offer us right and that's just another tactic that the devil has is he tries to get us sidetracked with immediate pleasures that give a a quick you know sense of joy or satisfaction or whatever but aren't lasting but with this, with intimacy with God, we have an an eternal, and not just down the road someday in heaven, but beginning now an eternal pleasure of knowing Him and walking in His presence, in communal relationship with Him. And that is what we're built for. That's what we're made for. Because remember, how are we made? We're made as spirit beings, right? We're made in the image of God. And so we're just we're spiritual beings having a physical experience right now but that's we're not we're not you know physical beings that are searching for some spiritual experience okay let's uh, let's take a look at meditation and is that that's your next page right um, Piper also he quoted Lewis in this book desiring God but He also says in this book, Desiring God, he's got the quote I've got at the top of the page, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. If you know anything about Christian history, that phrase probably sounds familiar, right? It comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is an ancient document that was written to try to define Christianity. It's an excellent document. And it said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Which is a pretty good summary of the meaning of life, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Piper makes a tiny little change. He says, I think it's better said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That that is how we glorify God, is to enjoy Him, to be in this relationship with Him that brings satisfaction and and restores that relationship that He wants to have with us. And that's how we glorify God, is we enjoy His presence. So the devotional life begins with and is sustained through meditation. It's the foundational discipline of a devoted disciple. Now remember, this is just one of the disciplines, right? So I'm not saying that there's no other just as important disciplines of the Christian life. But, but I'm focusing in this teaching on meditation, which, which is one of the least understood of the disciplines. But there are many disciplines. <clears throat> so, I'm not trying to make meditation higher than anything else. I'm just saying it's one that I feel like, especially here in this culture, we don't understand very well, and I'd like to see it utilized more and understood better, and and done the way Scripture um, intends for it to be done. So it's one of the medi- it's one of the disciplines of the Christian life. You know, and I also have in here uh, prayer, study, and then. Cover worship too, don't I? Yeah, actually, worship was first. So, worship, prayer, and study. I'm lumping all of these into what I would say is the devotional life. So, these are four four Christian disciplines that are important to to maintaining a devotional life. But they're not the only spiritual disciplines. There's others, fasting, right? Is one um, giving? So, uh, but we're looking at the ones that involve more this daily communing, relational kind of aspect of our walk with God. Um, so let's talk about meditation because I think, as I say in here, there's a lot of misunderstanding of this term today, and there's been a lot of influence from Eastern and New Age religions and popular culture, which has gotten it off track. But we have to understand that that God's word clearly teaches that meditation is a part of our Christian life. Actually, it's med- meditation is mentioned fifty-eight times in the Old Testament, so it's clearly something that's taught in Scripture. And I've listed the passages here. We won't look them up, but you can see how meditation is is used. Even starting in Genesis, you know, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. In Joshua, the verse we're pretty familiar with, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So it doesn't say you're supposed to study it or memorize it or just read it. It says you're supposed to meditate on it. Psalm chapter 1, another one we're familiar with. And in his law, he meditates day and night. This is what the man of God does, right? In his law, he meditates day and night. Imagine if all you had was the Old Testament law to meditate on. All those passages, you know, in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, meditating away on them. Isn't that exciting? Well, hey, the psalmist, that's what he had. And he's pretty excited about meditating on the the Word of God. Psalm 63, I meditate on you in the night watches. So again, we kind of see uh, how meditation has to do with the environment in a sense. That that meditation, you can't it's hard to meditate when there's distractions, right? Lots of other things going on. Psalm seventy seven, I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. So here we see meditation isn't just on the Scriptures, right? We're meditating on the deeds and works of God. Have you tried that? How about what He did in your life last week? How about, let's take your example of how God spoke to you and you went to that person, that gal, and, and encouraged her and maybe God used you to save her life. Have you meditated on that? You know, that's an act of God, a deed of God, a, a great thing. It would be good for you to spend some time just reflecting on that whole thing and gleaning from it the things that maybe the Lord wants to bring out from that whole deal. How much He loved that girl to do this, you know? And why did He pick you, you know? And all, I mean, there's lots that you could meditate on. Um,. Philippians 4, let your mind dwell on these things. If you're thinking that meditation is only an Old Testament thing, there are New Testament passages that that encourage us clearly to meditate. Uh, let's take in one more there. You can jot in there Psalm chapter 4. Psalms are great for this, by the way. David was just, and the other psalmist, just filled their psalms with these admonitions and actual meditations. Uh, Psalm chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Oh man, there's great instructions right there about how to meditate. Meditate. Right? You can do it in your bed. (laughs) You know? But you got to be still. And it comes along with trembling and not sinning. Especially for guys, this is a great admonition, right? You know? When you're alone, tremble. Don't sin. You know? Meditate in your heart upon your bed. So there's a uh, there's a lot in scripture on meditation we just somehow for the most part many of us have kinda of glossed over it and unfortunately I think you know the enemy has taken the high ground with a lot of believers and and caused them to to somehow think that that this this particular discipline isn't isn't really valid anymore or doesn't apply to them somehow or I don't know it's it's too risky Uh, But it's there for us. So what is meditation? Let's start with that. Here's how J.I. Packer defines it in his book, Knowing God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let His truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. Wow, isn't that great? I mean, that captures it, I think. It's it's a purposeful discipline of our mind to focus on God. And not only to just think about him, but think about what he's doing in us, what he's teaching us. Remember that that thing, revelation, right? What is he revealing to us? I wrote my definition under there to try to make one that wasn't quite so long. Meditation is the private love language between us and the great lover of our soul. It's, it's that spirit-to-spirit communication that we have with God. Now, distinctive between meditation and prayer. So, I mean, what's the difference, right? Doesn't prayer fit this definition? Well, kind of. Prayer, I, to me, prayer is us speaking to God. God. And meditation is God speaking back to us. So in prayer, we are doing the talking. (laughs) We're telling Him, which is what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, Jesus taught us to pray. There's prayer all through Scripture. This is the way that we open up to God, right? We let ourselves be known by Him. We speak to Him. But meditation is a little different. Now, in times of meditation, there could be prayer where you're speaking to God, but for the most part, when you're engaging in a time that's dedicated to meditation, you want to be quiet and let God speak to you. So that's the distinction. Meditation is listening to Him and what He's saying to us, and prayer is us voicing back to Him what we want to say to Him. So. There are some differences, you know, this has gotten muddied because of, of the whole popularity of, of meditation from an Eastern, you know, um, New Age or Buddhist and other Eastern religion concepts of meditation. So let me just clarify some differences. Let's say, how shall I word it, let me just, um, I'll just say. Eastern slash New Age. Because all New Ages is taking what was developed in, in Buddhism and Confucianism and some of these other Eastern religions and adapting it to the Western culture to make it more appealing. So let's take those um, beliefs and practices about meditation and contrast them with Biblical meditation. Okay, in Eastern meditation, you try to lose your identity, right? Uh, you're you're trying to sort of forget about who you are as an individual. That's not important anymore. The goal is to kind of shed that individualistic aspect. Okay. Well, the biblical aspect of of meditation is that we see our identity in Christ, right? So there is an aspect of understanding the proper identity that we have in meditation. We don't want to be focused on ourselves in meditation. So there is a sense that we move away from a selfish, self-focused, self-centered thought process in meditation. But we don't try to lose our identity. We try to gain an understanding of our real identity, which is who we are in Christ. We are a new creation. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. We're ex- exercising the new man in us, right? So we in meditation, that is what needs to dominate our understanding of who we are. Um, in Eastern meditation, you want to try to merge with the cosmos, or, or the all, or the cosmic being. I'll just say merge with cosmic being, because depending on what kind of meditation you're practicing, there may there's different definitions of what that is. You know, <laughs> uh, you know Nirvana. Try to get to Nirvana somehow. Well, in biblical meditation. Um, we're not. We're not trying to merge with the cosmic being. We want to. We want to. How, how can I try to word this right? Uh, we want to know God as separate from ourselves. Okay. We are not God. And a lot of times the mistake that people make when they get into this attraction to meditation and they start following the New Age teaching on it, it leads to at the end of the path, usually not at the beginning, but at the end of the path it leads to you are God. That's where the devil wants it to go, right? I mean, that's his original temptation in the garden. His... You can be like God. See how he took the truth of us entering into relationship and becoming more and more of His character in us, but he, he distorted that to saying, "You're divine. And that's where he's going in Eastern New Age meditation, is you're merging with whatever you define as divinity. and divine, define it any way you want, by the way. Does't matter. But the end result is, you're divine. Whereas biblically, obviously we know we we in meditation we're coming closer to the divine, but that's separate from us, <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute here, and then Eastern we also they also want you to empty and detach, right? Empty yourself of everything, empty your mind of everything and become detached from everything. Buddhism is classic for this, you know, that's how Buddhism started. Siddhartha, he was so disgusted with what he saw around him that he he wanted to somehow escape suffering and allow a path for people to escape the suffering that he saw all around him. He was a very compassionate guy. He had great motives. He wanted to end suffering. He decided to, to come up with a system that could end suffering right up here. So he developed Buddhist meditation to somehow be able to escape earthly suffering. <clears throat> well, in biblical meditation, we there is a sense of emptying, but it's empty to fill, right? And detach to attach. So we, we do empty our minds of distractions, but the whole point of emptying your mind is not to leave it empty, <laughs> which is what you're trying to do here. The goal is to have an empty mind. But our goal in in emptying ourselves of other distractions is to be filled with the truth, with the Word of God, with what He's speaking to us. And so we detach ourselves from from things that will distract us, right? We detach ourselves from normal everyday life for a, for a season, for a time period, in order to attach ourselves in the sense of drawing even nearer and nearer to God, right? Whereas here, they just want to detach completely and kind of float into that cosmic nothingness. Um, yeah. So, beware of the deception. I had a I, I, maybe none of you have any background in in or or I don't know maybe you have friends that have done some of this but it can be very powerful and it's attractive to folks you know to this sort of spiritual uh, life um, and but it's but it's a tool of the enemy to get people off track from what the truth is <clears throat> my boss, back in that company that I worked at for about 13 years, uh, was a non-believer, uh, but he knew I was a believer, so we had lots of conversations about stuff. And he called me into his office one day and um, said, my wife is getting into, um, what do you call it, when you go into a trance and you have these conversations with Scientist. spirit beings.
2: Scientists?
0: Yeah, but by herself. I forget, there was a word for it. That, that Transmeditation?
2: Was you. Hmm? Transmeditation?
0: Yeah, something like that. Anyway, she, mm-hmm. she was reading up on how to do this, and she would go into a trance and, and, and encounter a spirit being who she would have conversations with. Um, and he was worried about it, okay? <laughs> he was like, I don't know what she's doing, but, but this being was telling her all kinds of amazing information. And she was just enraptured by this whole experience that she could have. This was also a time when this kind of thing was very popular. There were people on Oprah talking about doing it. Channeling, that's what I'm talking about, channeling. Channeling was the rage, okay? All, all kinds of people were talking about how they were channeling, you know, connecting with the spirit being, who was kind of a guide who's going to move you along in the spiritual process and help you learn more about the divine and how, what it all means and all this stuff, right? right. And so his wife got into this, and she was having all these experiences of this wonderful being, so loving and kind and telling her all these amazing things and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Don, what do you think of this? Because you know, he knew I was a believer. And he just, he could tell it didn't smell right. <laughs> and I said, Oh, you know, I'd be very concerned because that, of course, is a demonic force that she is actually encountering, not an. A, a nice little angel that she thinks is some, you know, nice little spirit guide angel person, you know, with wings and a halo. That's not what she's encountering. She's encountering a demon that is dressing himself or up as, you know, some nice being. Yeah, he says. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> he said, well, "What do I do?" So I gave him the test. Right that's there in 1 John about how to test the spirits. You test a spirit by asking the spirit to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, as God, basically Jesus is divine. And so I read the passage to him and said, just tell her. I mean, this this works whether you're a believer or not. I mean, that spirit, you know, if it's going to answer the question, this is going to be the test. So I said, just have her, when she's in one of her, you know, Trances tell her uh, to ask this question: "Is Jesus God?" And he said, "I'll do it because uh, I want to find out if what she's doing is good or not." So a few days later, he called me in his office and he said, "Well, she did that." And here's what happened. She said that as soon as she, she was in this conversation with this, her, her spirit guide, everything was nice and lovely, he's very kind and gentle and, and he's, she thinks such a good being. And so she said, you know, um, well what do you think about Jesus? Is Jesus God? And she, she told her husband that as soon as she said that, this being turned dark and got angry. And just the whole atmosphere of her encounter with this being changed immediately. And this spirit guide got mad at her. And she just described it as just like a dark cloud all of a sudden descended on this being. And he got angry with her. And she got scared when she saw that going on and pulled herself out of the trance. And went to her husband and told him what had happened. And they went and got all her books that she'd been reading about how to do all this stuff and threw them all out, and she quit. Hmm. And so he was calling me to say, thank you, you know. <laughs> the, 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 what's really happening here, obviously, like you thought, this is not a good thing, and she needs to quit it. So, I, of course, I had a chance to share the gospel with him. He he's ne- he never accepted the Lord, but maybe he has by now. I don't know. I don't, I've lost track of him. But anyway, it was an opportunity, right, for them... That couple to be encountered with the truth, with the, with the revelation, and hopefully they'll, they you know they didn't at that moment give the right response, but at least she got rid of the stuff that she was in bondage to, and, and could have really gotten worse and worse. So these these things, we need to be careful that you know there, there's more and more people who are drawn to wanting some kind of a spiritual experience. And so the enemy is going to offer these substitutes. And we need to be careful, especially as we talk about meditation, that we're, that we're able to clearly lead people and lead ourselves into what is proper meditation. The enemy's looking for ways to get in there and, and mess it up. Now, many people uh, mix uh, exercise with uh, meditation, like yoga, right? Yeah. They think it's, uh, this is right. Yeah.
3: Okay.
0: Right, harmless. Very,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah it's not harmless it, when when they're now exercising is not a bad thing okay I don't have a problem with extra physical exercise and I don't, and there's lots of good things to be said about being calm and you know, we're going to talk about these practices a lot of the things that we're going to do is exactly what other people do in these in, in these deceptive kinds of meditation they follow the same kinds of practices But that's because the enemy has taken a good thing and has made it look appealing and then added his twist of deception to it. Which is the end result is, you are divine. That's where that's all leading. That's where they're going with it. So, beware of the deception. Somebody, uh, Cassie, would you look up 2 Corinthians 11.3? How about, would you look up Galatians 1, 6 through 8? Okay, yeah, go ahead and read that, 2 Corinthians.
4: But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, your minds will somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ.
0: Yeah. So there is a simplicity and purity to what it means to follow Christ, right? And when things get complicated and convoluted and and entangled and unsimple, you're probably off track. And that's where this stuff goes. It gets all convoluted and complicated and and gobbledygook. <laughs> Meditation, biblical meditation, is is purity and simplicity. It's devotion to Christ. I mean, look at verse 4, the next one. For if anyone comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. In other words, uh, he's being sarcastic with them, but he's warning them. Take a look at the Galatians 1 passage now. I am <laughs> surprised and astonished that you are
5: so quickly turning, renegading, deserting him who invited and called you by the grace, a merited favor of Christ the Messiah, and that you are transferring your allegiance to a different, even an opposition, gospel. Now that there is or could be any other genuine gospel, but there are obviously some who are troubling and disturbing and bewildering you, with a different kind of teaching which they offer as a gospel, and want to pervert and distort the gospel of Christ into something which it is absolutely not. But even if we or an angel from heaven could preach to you a gospel contrary to and different from that which we preach to you, let him be accursed.
0: Yeah, pretty strong words, right? For listening to an angel, right? And uh, somebody claiming to be a messenger from heaven. I mean, we've had that happen, haven't we? That's how Mormonism got started. That's how Islam got started, was Muhammad listening to this angel telling him this revelation. Um, these days, it's more more like people like uh, Neil, Don- Neil Donald Walsh. Have you ever heard of him? Conversations with God. You heard that book? Mm-hmm. Has anybody, has anybody read that book? Okay, I've read it. He was popular 10 to 15 years ago, more so even now than today, but he's got a lot of followers even today. Sorry, I should have had this pulled up. Um, Neil Donald Walsh. He, he's, he was on Oprah, you know, and so he's got the message that Oprah loves. You know, it's like we're all going to... Get there, you know. We just all need to love each other. It's all niceness and, and joy and peace and tolerance and uh, and it's it's deception. Uh, but he wrote a book called Conversations with God, and now he's written eight more, and they uh, recount um, his conversations with God. Exactly what we're talking about. He had a conversational relationship with God and then he just wrote down what God told him. And I read his book because I wanted to read what everybody was talking about. Now here's his website, okay, cwg.org, because, and I'm not, obviously I want, we need to be wise about what we read and what we look at. I want you to understand that what you're looking at is deception. You need to recognize deception when you see it. It doesn't sound like deception, when you first read it, it sounds wonderful—peace and harmony. Let's all get along. Let's be loving and kind. So, we have to realize that, you know, the enemy is going to use things that appear to be coming from an angel of light. Um, he has—I sent my book to my daughter. That's why I don't have the book to show you, because she's got a guy, a, a gal that she's befriending in Tulsa. Who's big into this movement, this conversations with God thing, and um, Josephine is going to be taking my notes from this book to try to, oh dear, to try to encourage her that this is, that this is um, false. Here we go. I just want to read you one section that he he writes. Okay, this is the guy here. See, doesn't he look like just the the kind, gentle sort? You know? And this, these books start out with here's what happened. He, he was discouraged with life. He was having a hard time. He'd been through a divorce. He, his jobs weren't working out. He'd been homeless for a while. He was like kind of at the low, low. He gets up in the middle of the night. He goes out in the living room and he just cries out to God. He was raised as kind of a nominal Catholic. He cries out to God. He says, God, why isn't life working? And then he hears a voice saying, giving him an answer. It's like, uh, but Donald, it can work, and I love you. And he's like, so he gets out a pad of paper, and he starts writing down what he's hearing, and he asks a question, and this voice that he describes initially as almost an but he says now, just speaks to him in his mind, starts telling him the answers to his questions, and he writes down the answers. And eventually, it's a, this book And what this book is is all these conversations that he has over a period of several months with God at night sitting out in the dining room table asking God questions, and God answers all of his questions. And the first half of the book, I read through it, and I'm like, I find hardly anything I disagree with in here. But every now and then, he says something that isn't right. And then finally, that there's more and more stuff that isn't right. And then, at the, towards the end of the book, God is telling him that really, he just needs to connect with his inner divinity and realize that he is the answer to his questions. He needs to find the answers within himself. Well, I mean, that's appealing to people. and And so, what's... You know what this guy believes is God speaking to him is a demonic spirit posing as an angel of light, or in this case, as God. Of course, ultimately, you get into the rest of the books. God is not even God anymore. There is no God. We are God. It's this whole cosmic. We are all divine. Why are you looking out to to some God somewhere? You are the answer. I'll just read you one on his website he has a statement, you know, kind of explaining his understanding of things. It's very convoluted, but he Yeah. He says this. <coughs> Uh, I mean, okay, for example, here's here's the paragraph just before he gives the lie. We imagine in relationship that the other person has what we do not have, therefore that they can supply it to us. That is a great illusion. This is a great mistake. This is a great misunderstanding. This is the reason why so many relationships fail. We imagine that the other is going to supply us with forgiveness, compassion, tolerance, mercy, peace, acceptance, and love. These are the things that he says everybody, we all need to strive for. He repeats them over and over. Forgiveness, compassion, tolerance, mercy, peace, acceptance, and love. Can any of, us have a, any of us have a problem with that? It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Don't we all agree those are good things? He's talking about this all the time. And then he says, we imagine you know, that, that other people are going to give them to, to us, and we can't give them to ourselves. And then we get angry with each other. And then we get angry with ourselves. And then we realize that there's nothing left but God. We turn then to God. Please, God, give me forgiveness, compassion, tolerance, mercy, peace, acceptance, and love. Please give it to me that I may give it to others. Okay, so that's where he's going. It all sounds wonderful. Then he says... Conversations with God, his book, contains a startling statement. It is something I've never forgotten. God said, this is what God told him, it is not necessary to go through hell in order to get to heaven. I invite us all to remember that on this day. I invite us all to embrace a new notion about ourselves and about life. Not that there's nothing left but God, but that there's nothing but God. When we see God in every other person and in every other thing, then we will have dropped our illusions. So he's, he's giving the devil's teaching wrapped in this appealing sort of let's just all love each other and recognize the divine in ourselves. And he's, he's reaching incredible amounts of people. And this is the kind of teaching that's appealing to our culture today. Is, you know, we all hold the answers within ourselves. Well, we don't, right? The Bible clearly teaches that what left to ourselves, we are... <laughs> headed off the deep end, so uh, we need to be wise as believers. When when people are attracted to this kind of stuff or come to us and want us to tell them about what, you know what's going on with this teaching or that teaching, you need we need to be able to recognize whether something is truly legitimately biblical, you know, in its teaching or whether it's where he's coming from. So. Um, he's uh, He's still very, very popular. and if you have friends that are caught up in that, and, and not just him, of course, he's the, he's the more American society, American cultural representation of Eastern New Age sort of, you know, religious mysticism that's appealing more to to this culture. Um, but meditation, because of just the very nature of the fact that we are practicing, a cleansing of our minds and an ent- engaging into a communion with God there is a possibility for deception and that's why i I'm taking the time that I am talking about the deception I'm not giving these guys any glory or credit right by talking by pointing to their website or his books or anything I'm trying to make sure we understand the deception so that we recognize it when we see it alright well let's talk about what are what is the biblical way to do meditation any, any questions or thoughts before we get into
3: that? It's Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered them,
1: See that one leads you astray? It's
0: right. Mm-hmm. Matthew 24, Jesus said about that. <laughs> Matthew 24, what? 4. Here, here's that statement I was looking for in his, in his deal. He says, there comes a time when we realize that we are the only source there is. And he has only source capitalized. So he's clearly teaching that our, the divini- divinity lies within each one of us and we just need to tap into it. Yeah. Okay, practical steps to meditation. And let me just, first of all, start off... I I have my step one there. I think it says, first, pray for the desire and grace to meditate. Let me start off even before that. Before you pray, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that you can meditate in communion with God? Do you believe it? Do you believe that you can connect with the God of the universe? Um, Somebody... Uh, who hasn't read recently? Donna, you want to look up Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Geraldine, would you look up 1 Peter 2, verse 9? And Julie, how about um, Revelation one, verse six? All right, let's start off with Hebrews ten.
2: Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is mm, inaugurated,
0: inaugurated uh-huh.
2: for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts clean from an evil conscience and our
0: bodies washed with pure water. Now, yeah. we're being invited to draw into the holy place, the presence of God. Okay? I mean, I know this is stuff you learned in Sunday school, but what I'm asking you is, do you believe that? Do you really, really, in your heart of hearts, believe that we are being invited by God to come into his presence. All right. 1 Peter 2 9.
3: Um, but you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light.
0: Yeah. So we are a royal priesthood. Okay, what was the job of the priest? Right? The job of the priest was to be the one who entered the Holy of Holies, entered into the presence of God, and mediated for the people, right? He was the go between in those days when there needed to be a priesthood. Now things have changed, right? With the new covenant, things have changed. There's not just an Aaron as a priest for the people. What's the deal? We are, every one of us, priests. Every one of us. It's not Gary or me or some guy with a title that preaches on Sunday. It's all of us are, are a priest. That means every one of us are invited into the Holy of Holies. Okay, Revelation 1.6.
2: And has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever.
0: Amen. Yeah, yeah. we're that's where the royalty comes in. We're not just priests; we're royal priests, kingly priests. Flip over to a couple chapters in Revelation to Revelation three, verse twenty. This is the letter to the church of Laodicea. Revelation three twenty. Um, says, Behold, this is Jesus talking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and will dine with him and he with me. Another familiar passage, but have we really thought about what that means? Jesus is inviting us to let him in and dine with us. That is the ultimate expression in the Middle Eastern culture, right, of fellowship, is you eat together. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Let's have fellowship. We sit at the table and eat together. I eat with you, you eat with me. But, you know, he's knocking at the door. Now, this we often think of this verse applying to non-Christians, right? Non-Christians. If Hey, non-believer friend of mine, Jesus is knocking at your door asking if you're willing to let him in. Wait a minute. This verse is not written to non-believers. This verse is written to believers. It's written to the church. This verse is for believers who already know Jesus. And he's saying to them, let me in to have fellowship. This is not a salvation verse. This is a fellowship verse. This is an intimacy verse. This is a meditation, communion, intimacy, walking with Jesus verse. Let me in to have fellowship with you. That's what I want. So that's where we got to start. Is have we actually be- believed this truth that we are called into this amazing, incredible relationship with God? To walk in intimacy with Him, to converse with Him, to hear from Him, to talk with Him. So if we believe that's true, then let's do these steps first, pray. For the desire and the grace to meditate. You know, that wanes sometimes, right? There can be seasons of life where you're just like, (laughs) I just too busy, you know. I just don't have the desire like I used to to walk closely with God. Or maybe we've fallen, you know, and, and we're embarrassed and we're shamed. Lord, I don't deserve, you know, to come into your presence like I used to. Look how bad I've messed up. There can be reasons why we need to pray for the desire and grace to meditate. Um, and we need to believe in faith that that God wants to meet with us and speak with us. So determine that you're going to per- persevere in this discipline of meditation. Second, by the way, are there eight steps on your page? Or seven? What's the last one? Thanking God? Thank Him. Okay, alright. I'm going to give you number eight, but we'll get there. So, uh the second step is then to prioritize your schedule to set aside a regular time for contemplation prayer and meditation now i I recommend starting with twenty minutes a day um, in a part of your day that you can really set aside that full amount of time. Uh, I just think that's a bare minimum to start with, okay and I know that twenty minutes is not gonna be enough eventually but give yourself something that you can manage and if you're already well along the journey of this you know you might be chuckling inside at 20 minutes going you know I can't you know I can't really focus on the Lord and meet with him in in less than an hour take you know I spend an hour that's great I mean that time is going to increase but start with something that's manageable in your schedule that you can say look I'm gonna take this amount of time and set it aside for contemplation prayer and meditation and make it a priority in your schedule. Third, find the right setting. It needs to be a quiet place, no interruptions, few distractions. I recommend a place where you can see some of God's creation. There's just something about looking at his creation like a tree or a field or uh, in, as verses like, I don't know, a building, <laughs> you know. Uh, If you can look out your window, if it's your room, yeah, something that allows you just to see the creative work of God, Um, but a quiet place, few distractions as possible. And I think position is important. You want to be comfortable, but you don't want to be inattentive. In other words, um, I don't recommend, you know, even the psalmist says that we meditate on our bed, but I don't think you want to meditate, you know, lying down with your head on the pillow you know, for very long, right? I'm going to be asleep in a few minutes if I did it that way. So uh, for me, I found that find that the best thing is to kneel or sit. Now, I can only kneel for so long, and my knees start hurting so bad that i got to sit up in a chair. But there's something about the posture of kneeling that I think places us. Remember we talked about discipline, grace. This pathway places us in a position where God's grace can work on us. And there's something about kneeling that just allows our hearts to also be kneeling before God in an attitude of humility, you know, and 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 worship and submission. So I think kneeling is a great posture. And if your knees can't handle it, then get up on a chair, but kind of keep that attitude of you're in the presence <coughs> of God. Uh, so posture is important. Uh, fourth. Clear. begin clearing your mind of distractions and concerns. Uh, this is a time to be, become still and center our minds on God. Remember we were given the, spiritual, the scriptural admonition, be still and know that I am God. That's what you're doing here. You're being still and knowing that He is God and you're not. Progressively release those things that are weighing on your mind. Surrender them to God, talking to Him about each one, and verbally turning them over to His control. Take your time, don't rush. Ask Him to show you other things that you're holding on to that need to be released. And I would add in here, I'm not sure if it's in your notes, repent if necessary. This is the point in this process in which you're going to need to repent of any thing that comes to your mind that is prompted by the Holy Spirit, or maybe you just know you have not confessed. Because we've got to clear out any obstacles, right? And unconfessed sin is an obstacle in our relationship with God. So, still your mind, clear your mind, repent. Now, this is sometimes the hardest step in the process, okay? Because we are easily distracted. And um, this takes discipline. So, again, I say start small, start with a period of time that you can do this successfully and then let it grow. Don't get discouraged and beat yourself up if you can't do this step for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, all at once. It's going to take some self-discipline for you to be able to, to clear your mind of distractions and focus your thoughts on God for a, a extended length of time. Um, one of the things that, that helps in this process is um, when a distraction comes to your mind, thank the Lord for allowing you to recognize the distraction and turn that distraction into a prayer of release to God. For example, you're, you're going to meditate you know, and ha- have time with the Lord this morning, and and you're just getting started, and the meeting that you're going to have later in the day with somebody. You know, it's like, oh, what am I going to say to them? Or oh, I know they're going to say this, and oh, and then, and then, oh, what is it? I was I supposed to have read something before that meeting? Oh, I. They're not going to like what I have to say. Um, what should I wear for that meeting? Okay, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Okay, we have all been there, haven't we? We've all had these kinds of thoughts. They, you're, trying to, you're trying to focus on the Lord, and then all of a sudden there's that thing. It just won't let you go. So recognize this is a spiritual battle. Okay? So you need to first thank the Lord for letting you know, be aware of the distraction, and then turn it into a prayer. The enemy wants to get you off track from, from communing with God, so he's going to bring as many... All other thoughts to your mind as possible. Plus, we're just human. There's going to be thoughts we just have on our own anyway. So, in any case, make it a prayer. If it's a, if it's a distraction from the enemy, he's not going to like that, right? Because everything he throws at you to distract you gets turned into a prayer against him, <laughs> right? He's trying to get you off track, and suddenly you're now you're praying about that meeting. He does not want you praying about that meeting. He wants you worrying about the meeting, right? He wants you fussing over the meeting. He doesn't want you praying about it. So turn it into a prayer. Say, Lord, that meeting, I need your help. I know you know, it's it's going to be difficult what I have to say. Please give me grace. Help them to be able to hear really what's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, don't make it a 20-minute prayer because that's not the point of your time here. <laughs> Just turn it into a prayer and then let it go. Release it. Say, you know what? I've just given that meeting to the Lord. I don't need to worry about that anymore. He's received my prayer, and He cares about that meeting, and He's going to help me. So Lord, now I just want to get back to focusing on You. right? So take each thing that comes along that, that distracts you and turn it around into a prayer, and then release it to God, and then get back to focusing your mind on Him. Okay, step five. After releasing, prepare to receive. So, again, you're, you become silent, outwardly and inwardly. You're attentive to the living God and His Holy Spirit within you. If your mind wanders, we talked about this, release that concern and return to a centered, still mind focused on the goodness of God. Receive His love for you, His peace, His comfort. Listen for His voice, speaking softly in your mind. Scriptures may come to mind. Repeat them verbally and think through them. Contemplate how they apply to you. What might God be saying to you? And don't worry if nothing happens. So, this is when, again, remember, this is us listening to God, not us speaking to Him. Just be quiet and let Him speak. We have a hard time being quiet. (laughs) So, it's a discipline to just be quiet and let him speak. Um, and he will. But you know, God isn't a bully, and he doesn't always just jabber away just because we're being quiet. Also, You know, there's lots of passages in Scripture that says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. God is often wanting us to pursue him and to see how much we really want a relationship with him. This is part of our, our growth and development, is to pursue So, if you don't feel like God's saying much the first time you try this, that's okay. (laughs) Give it some time, and don't try to manufacture, you know, stuff. That's, That's just not helpful. We're not here to try to fake anything. We're not here to try to make stuff up. We want to hear the God of the universe speaking to us. And so, let's just quiet ourselves... And give him a chance to speak. A lot of times, when when I do this, he speaks in passages that I've memorized, or he speaks in passages that I've read and can't quite remember right. But he gives me the verse, and I go look it up. He'll often speak in his word, and then other times he'll just speak something else. Um, you know, like I was saying earlier, it, it'll often be something that's totally practical to the day I'm about to have. Like he'll say, um, you need to check on, you know, right now I'm working on a a big uh, conference that we're doing overseas for our overseas workers, and he'll tell me something I need to do for that conference. You need to have this topic talked about at that conference this particular issue talked about, completely out of the blue. I wasn't planning on it, it wasn't in our list of stuff, you know, but it's just God saying this needs to be in your conference. That's all. And that's how God speaks to me, right? But if I haven't quieted myself and been intentional to listen for His voice, I'd have been so busy doing all the preparation for the conference, I wouldn't have thought about putting that in there. So God tells me. I mean, it's amazing. It's His love for us, you know. It's His involvement in our day-to-day life. And you realize, yeah, God knows what I'm doing today, and He cares about it, and He wants to be, you know, He wants to be walking with me through this. So uh, listen for His voice. Let's read a couple passages on this one, too. Psalm 62.1. You can write these references down. Psalm 62.1. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. And Matthew (laughs) 12.19. And then the last passage, 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and onward. There's a whole passage there. So... Let's just look at a couple of them. Psalm 62.1. Yeah, Psalm 62.1. You got that, Laurel Lynn? Want to read it?
5: My soul plans rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him.
0: Yeah. My soul finds rest in God alone. It's soul rest. Can you um, you read your version? New
2: American. Yeah. It says, my soul waits in silence
4: mm-hmm. for God only.
0: Yeah. My soul waits in silence for God only. Yeah. So the psalmist knew about this thing, didn't he? Of just waiting quietly for God. You think the devil just loves our busy mm-hmm. lives, <laughs> right?
2: I heard something, somebody told my, what it is Tom about the technology, you know, yeah. that just is inundated all of us. <clears
0: <clears <throat> yeah, he crazy. talked about that last Sunday. Yeah. Uh, did somebody find Matthew twelve nineteen?
2: I have Psalm 135 and 6. Okay, you want to read that? My, um... I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in His Word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for nothing. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's got Matthew 12? Go ahead.
5: He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will allow hear his voice in the streets.
0: Yeah. Um, what does that What does that have to do with it? <laughs> okay, you need to know a little about the context there, right? So this is a prophecy of the Messiah. Find it here. And um, um, Jesus is is you know. Look up at verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed Him and He healed them all, but He warned them not to make Him known, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. So here's part of the prophecy. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. In other words, Jesus is not coming with a huge fanfare of announcement, right? And public, here I am, the Messiah. He's coming quietly and in a sense what I'm getting at is this is the way God works. He's contrary to what we think maybe should happen in a lot of ways. God works quietly with us to reveal Himself. Just as Jesus said, I come quietly. And He actually pulled away from a lot of the crowds, right? And remember when people tried to make Him king or whatever... He was, and he was even telling people, "Don't tell people who I am." So, uh, God wants to to quietly come to us. Do you remember when Elijah was seeking God? This is the First Kings nineteen passage. Some, did somebody find that? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and read that. How uh, far? Go down to um, the. Uh, just 12, 11 and 12.
2: Then he said, Go and 13,
0: sorry, 13.
2: Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice... So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's just the way, a lot of times, the way God speaks to us, right? is, is in that quiet voice. Okay. So, the next... The next step is six. We're going to come back after I've gone through these and and then if if people have questions or you want to kind of talk talk about how some of these things have worked for you, we'll do that. (coughs) Um, Step six, after you've practiced the above for a while, add more time to your meditation schedule and include specific meditations on certain subjects. I suggest beginning with short passages of Scripture. This is not a time to exegete, right? You're not trying to, you know, write out all the meanings of every word here in a sort of an exegetical study. You're you're just simply trying to engage the passage and bring it into you. Uh, Put yourself in the passage. See it in your mind's eye. Try to feel the emotions. Hear the sounds. Smell and even taste what is happening. Dwell on the passage and ponder it in your heart. The purpose is not just for personal enjoyment, but for the Holy Spirit... To bring the passage into personal application in your life. To give you a fresh insight into a truth that you need. To point out an area that needs to be changed. Encounter God in the passage. You know, um, there's a a word in here that kind of we stumble over sometimes, and that is your imagination. Using your imagination in this practice of meditation. I tell you, God gave us our imagination. Now our imagination can is fallen, okay? <laughs> like the rest of us, right? Is subject to the fall. But it is a God-given thing that we can learn to utilize in a way that causes us to draw closer to God. There is nothing wrong with using your imagination in meditation as long as what you're imagining are biblically accurate and and helpful things. In other words, when I meditate, I picture, one of the things I picture is the throne room of God. Well, how do I picture the throne room of God? From what I know in Scripture about what the throne room of God looks like. Okay, So I read the passages that talk about the throne room of God, and then I picture that. I mean, Jesus told, talked and taught how? In parables mostly, right? What are parables, stories? What is the purpose of a story? To give our imagination something to follow. To build a picture in our minds, a story is how we use our imagination. And that's how Jesus taught. He wanted his listeners to use their imagination to picture this story and in the picturing of that story draw a spiritual lesson. And so our imagination is a powerful, powerful tool that can be used For us in meditation. So don't be afraid of imagining. You know, when you're meditating, make sure that what you're imagining is scriptural. So I love passages that talk about what Jesus looks like. You know, there are passages that talk about what he looks like, right? So learn them. Uh, Where's I've got a couple written down here. Where did I put them? Revelation. I don't have it written down here. Uh, the passage in Revelation. i uh, give it to you exactly here. So Revelation chapter 1 uh, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. There's a description of what Jesus looks like. It's awesome. Um, You can for the throne room or the glory of God, you can read those passages like Ezekiel, beginning of Ezekiel. Get you the exact references here. (coughs) Ezekiel chapter one, verse four, all the way through to the end of the chapter. Almost all of chapter one of Ezekiel is a description of the glory of God, in very vivid terms that you can imagine. So take those passages and use them as a way to begin your meditation, to where you can help to picture the glory of God, and um, it can help us draw into His presence and be awed at who He is. Um, you, yeah, we sometimes we think of imagination as just something that we use for escapism, you know, or it's kind of childish, it's something kids do or it's for the movies or whatever. Imagination is something God's given us. And I think we need to recapture the value that it can have. Uh, are you guys familiar with Odyssey, Adventures in Odyssey, kids' stories? Okay, when our kids were little and growing up, we got every Odyssey tape that there was. That was before the CDs came out, right? Then we got all the CDs. <laughs> but we got every one. And whenever we'd drive anywhere, we'd pop in an Odyssey story and listen to it and it's all audio so you can't see a thing, so you have to build a picture in your mind of Odyssey. Every one of us that's ever listened to Odyssey has built a picture in our minds of what Odyssey is like, right? We know what Eugene looks like, we know what Wits End looks like, we know all these characters, because we've been listening to them for years and we've built a picture in our minds. That's the beauty of imagination. It's awesome, right? It's way better than seeing it actually portrayed by some one person's view. Right? When I saw the video, when they first came out with the video of Odyssey, I thought, wow, that's going to be great. Finally, a video of all these tapes we've just been listening to. I watched the video, I was like, that's not at all what it looks like. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, Narnia, that's maybe a more contemporary one, Nar- Adventures in Narnia. Uh, read those books. C.S. Lewis builds an incredible you know, story that you can, in your mind with imagination, is powerful in bringing out spiritual truths. Okay, uh, Step seven, end by thanking God for what He has shown you and for being who He is. Submit yourself once again to His Lordship and ask Him for help in making the changes He's revealing to you. And then step eight, which should be on your sheet, is write it down, preferably in a journal. Right? Because when He reveals Himself to you, when He shows Himself to you, when He speaks to you in this time of meditation, you don't want to forget what He says. You can. (laughs) You can leave and get to work, and that awesome insight that came to you in your time, a quiet time with the Lord that morning, can be gone. So I highly recommend that you write it down, that you keep a journal, and put the date, and say, today the Lord, you know, told me that I need to call, you know, so-and-so and, and uh, make right what's not been good between us, you know, to reconcile with so-and-so. That, that thing in our relationship that I've kind of been ignoring, the Lord just brought that up today to me and just encouraged me that He is going to help us reconcile and He's going to give me the words to say and I'm supposed to initiate. In fact, he told me what to start saying. And here's what he told me: You know, okay. Jeremy, what I did was wrong. I don't know, but anyway, he'll tell you, and you write it down because uh, our minds are weak and we forget. And what God says is important, <laughs> right? If it was your mother, you'd probably write it down. <laughs> So if it's God, definitely write it down. Um, so I recommend highly getting a journal for your quiet times and for your times of meditation. This is one I used uh, in the past. And I just, you know, I started off and said spiritual recordings. And the date, and I just, whenever I'd have a, a time of meditation, I'd write the date and I'd just write in, you know, what what God said that day. A lot of times it was a passage a scripture that I was going I was reading through books <coughs> and I'd read that passage and then I'd meditate on it. And after I'd meditated on it, the Lord would bring out these insights and these things he was saying to me and I just write them in the journal. It's a great way I go back and read that in the other journals, you know, often because I like to hear again what God has told me, remind me, remind myself of the things that he's told me. So the purpose, again, is to know Him, right? And to be transformed. It's not just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling in our quiet time. It's not just to feel like, wow, I felt God's presence today. That's not the goal. That is the byproduct. That will be a result, but that is not our goal. Our goal is to press in so close to Him that we can hear His voice speaking to us we can give Him glory for that. We can be obedient to whatever it is He's te- telling us, and therefore we'll be transformed more and more into His image. Okay. <coughs> let me, let's me. let just take a few minutes and have you guys share a little bit maybe. I know that some of y'all, maybe all of y'all have had experience in, in this. Maybe you didn't call it meditation. But... Uh, in listening to God and hearing His voice. Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Don't be embarrassed. You can't, you know, it's it's okay to just uh, share your story. Well,
4: this isn't really meditation, but just... Well, sort of, I guess. But just the whole way that you were talking about our imaginations, I think that's one of the reasons why I love worship so much is because I really just kind of meditate on the words when we're singing them and think in my mind and imagine you know, what I've learned from Scripture, (coughs) like coming before Him and singing to Him. And then certain songs I have things that maybe He's done in my life or certain amazing times that they just go with a certain song and I just imagine that moment that He really spoke to me and... It just brings back everything
0: that he's, you know, done at certain times. Right. So it's right. Kind of meditation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Worship time is a great time for for this because we're we're already placing ourselves in right in an atmosphere in a place where we can focus on him, and we've removed distractions just because we've come into worship, right? So we're we're in a place that should be easier. Unfortunately. On Sunday morning, what is you know what is the number one obstacle oftentimes to worship is we do we get distracted right? We're looking around and and uh, again we, it takes that self discipline to say you know I'm not going to think about you know what so and so is wearing up on the platform today or whatever. I'm going to focus on what this song is trying to draw me into the presence really of to God. Close my eyes, too, closing I closing your eyes so helps <laughs> cool. exactly. Yes, it does sitting up front. <laughs> so you can't see all the, mm-hmm. you know, all the other people behind you. don't get distracted quite so easily.
2: I think for me one of the challenges, I mean I feel encouraged after hearing you your speaking to all of that, I feel one of the challenges is finding the time, I could do it when I first get up, when I'm not really like the part about being fully devoted, well no I'm still coming not engaged, so don't wait till I get home. And by the, so it's just finding that segment of time that it's most practical, and then it's, it's worth. God gets what you know what that whole thing is supposed to right. be about. It's just you know, where, where does that fit into the, to the yeah. equation of the day?
0: Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. Yeah. sometimes he just has to make sure that we're not going to open our mouth <laughs> <laughs> so he just goes ahead and talks to us in our mouth some people are gifted just gifted by God with more of those kinds of dreams than other people and I don't know how that all works I know a guy, a good friend of mine he, he, God gives him a spiritual dream every night every night he has a dream that has a spiritual meaning I mean, I wish I had that. <laughs> I rarely have what I would call spiritual dreams, where God speaks to me in a dream. But it has happened to me on occasion, and when it does, then I know, you know, God actually directed us to the house that we're living in right now through a dream that I had. And in my, we were looking for a house. Uh, we were looking to move, so that was the process we were on was looking around at houses, and then during that season of looking, I had a dream where my wife and I were out driving and we were looking for houses and we passed by and I looked and saw a house that had these two very strange shaped trees that the trunks were like angled like this. And the house was set quite a ways back from the road, so I could the house was like fuzzy, you know in dreams some things are not defined real well. So I couldn't see the house very clearly, but these trees I saw very clearly. And, and I, it was such a strong dream that I woke up and knew that this was the place God was showing me where we were going to live. So I told Pamela, you know, I think God showed me two trees in front of the house we're supposed to get. So from then on, of course, every house that we looked at, <laughs> what did we do? We didn't really look at the house. <laughs> we just looked at the trees out front. <clears throat> well, we didn't see anything. Anywhere's like that. And uh, and then um, so then we give up. We gave up looking. So we just quit looking, and we stayed at our house. And about a year later, a friend of mine said, um, "I want you to." His father had passed away, or actually, his father just moved into a nursing home. And um, they needed somebody to live in the house and just kind of look after it for a while. I said, would, would you be willing to just live there and kind of look after the house for us? And and uh, that would be a blessing to us <clears throat> and take care of the place till we figure out what we're going to do. So we did. And pretty soon it um, got to where well, he passed away. So then they were like willing to sell the house. And... We needed to make a decision, were we just going to continue to live there rent- renting it or were we going to buy it? And they were willing to sell it to us at a, at a really good price. And all this time, you would think that when I drove to that property, right, the first thing I'd be looking at is the yard, is the trees. But I didn't. I totally forgot the dream, completely. And it was when we were contemplating whether we were going to stay in that house and buy it or, or go back to our, because we still had our other house, go back there. Um, we were letting our older kids stay in the original house, right, so this is how it worked out. That I suddenly remembered, wait, Uh, actually I didn't remember, here's how it went. We were raking leaves in the front yard, and I was raking around and there was a lot of trees in the front yard. And then I looked up and I looked back to the house, I was kind of at the front, I looked back to the house and I saw this tree like this. And it just hit me. Wait, that's the tree in my dream. I thought, well, if there's if that's the dream, then there's another tree, you know, next to it like this. So I ran over to the <laughs> other side of the yard and sure enough, there's the other tree. Mm-hmm. Thing is, there's lots of other trees there too. Those weren't the only two trees, but in my dream, those were the two trees. So so then of course, you know, Pamela and I, it was easy for us to make that decision. Yeah, this is the house we're supposed to be in. So the Lord used that to confirm to us this is where we need to be and yet it wasn't it wasn't an exact representation because there were more trees in the yard than those two but those two were there so so dreams can be used by God that way i, I think he does speak to us we just need to be open to you know to how the lord may want to use that but yeah dreams are I think well, it's something difficult. The Lord uses the
3: old system mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: <clears throat> I struggle a lot with the distraction and I find yeah. that it's almost like when I go into my room alone if it's a familiar environment it's harder for me to focus because I see all the books that I had to read or all the, you know, all the different things and so sometimes I have to go to like you know, a coffee shop where I can just no one will talk to me because no one knows me and I or a bookstore uh-huh. or a library or something and um, but something I would do too is on the way to like Lubbock between here and Lubbock it's about five hours and it's really boring. Like you could just drive straight and not ever turn the wheel and uh-huh. you get there. And so I would um, get these audios like Bible study audio CDs or you know messages and stuff and mm-hmm. listen to those and you know, you be driving and you're listening to You know, Bible verses being read or the speaker talking. And every now and then, just because there's nothing else to do and there's no one in the car talking, I would make the trip alone a lot. No one was there talking to me. You know, I could pause it and just think about what was being said and just really spend a long time just thinking, you know, no distractions or even, you know, like you said, sometimes prayer can be incorporated. If something really convicted me, I'd have the time for 30 minutes or so to just pray about it because I still had four hours to go, you know. So it was. that was like a really, I don't know sometimes I just feel like maybe I should just start driving around Arlington, you know, just to kind of have that same just <coughs> isolation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like you said, go to a quiet place and so you can focus. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I think that God can use times like that, especially if it's a longer trip and you're mm-hmm. kind of on a highway where there's not as many distractions. I, I have people sometimes ask me, well, can I have my, prayer time or my quiet time with the Lord driving to work, you know, and just use that time because I've got like a 30 or 45 minute drive and I can listen. And and I'm like, well, you know, I guess you can, but to me, uh, it's not not the best choice because you're just susceptible to so many things that could interrupt while you're driving, right? I, I just think, being somewhere where there's absolutely no other distraction, you're not having to do anything else like drive, is so much better to be able to have time that you can really interact with God. Um, so I think there's value to that, like being able to listen to passages uh, and, and pray, you know, just especially on a highway where, where it's not so much. But going back and forth to work I don't recommend as, as the time to have your interaction with God. Unless it's
2: oh God,
0: <laughs> thank you for saving me from that crazy person just now.
3: <laughs> thank you. It's um, the meditation in the morning or the evening to me, and mm-hmm. with counseling, and I've studied a lot on that. And right before, that's when you're more open um, and you have less. Um, but having that thought, and you know, I. Just um, that meditation and prayer time, just to show me throughout the day. Um, But you have to be, for me, I have to be, you can be distracted, you can be at the grocery store, Mm -hmm. but things he will show you. But you have to be looking or just aware of presence. Yes. You have to be in the moment all the time, which is a practice in itself. But that's where, to me, I've seen the most transformational kind of stuff. It's like just being open to it. But if I didn't have that time, that I dedicated before, you know, with him, I don't think I would see those things throughout the daytime. So they all connect in a relationship.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the the dedicated time at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day of what that I'm talking about here is actually training for what you're talking about. The the purpose of this discipline, you know, is this transformation. And what the transformation is is that as you live your life, moment by moment, you are in the presence of God. And so when He speaks to you, you know and you hear and you obey, you respond. That's the whole point of this. Mm-hmm. It's not so that you develop a spiritual life that is my meditation time in the morning and then I live the rest of my life on mm-hmm. my own. Okay, But I had my time with God, so I'm good. <laughs> you know? That's not the point of it at all. The point of it is training so that in our daily life we're so in tune with Him, we're so walking in step with Him, we're so recognizing His voice, we're so in His presence that, that He can say something to us anywhere, anytime, and we know it, we catch it, because oh yeah, that's the Lord, oh yeah, I need to, yeah, okay, sometimes it's even like, you know, go there right now, right? <laughs> Completely out of the blue. Go see so and so, right? So, yeah, that's the whole point of of, but we learn that by disciplining ourselves in times where we get away from everything and we just focus on our relationship with God, and we build that communing aspect to our life, uh, where we do recognize His voice when He speaks. Exactly, that's that's what we're aiming for because that's where transformation occurs. Is God And even, it it might not even be something where he's using us to impact another life. It might be you do something and the Lord speaks a convicting word like, Why did you just get mad at them? (laughs) You know? Why do you just feel bitterness right now? You know? And we wouldn't have heard that if we didn't know the voice of the Lord.
3: Um, I had a little sabbatical for the year, and um, it was about the, the relationship and the. That part of all of that, because it was very hard for me to understand, was a lot of it just showing me him, but it wasn't, it was influencing other people. But what I didn't expect was him just showing. And I remember driving across like New Mexico and it was a lightning storm, which I had never seen. Mm -hmm. And it was just beautiful. And it was that conversation with him of, did you see that? (laughs) And it was just, it was so comforting for a year. It wasn't just, Go do this, or a calling, or um, it was—it was truly um, a relationship that Mm -hmm. you shared the day. Sure. And it was beautiful. So.
5: I had a question. Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about meditation is hearing from God, but then every every now and then, like a verse will come to mind, Uh and where. Where's the, I mean, is there a line or where's the line between that and the Bible study where you're, you know, like you said, you're outlining it or you're looking things up. I mean, do they kind of overlap or is it important to kind of be like, okay, well, this is the time where I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. I'm just trying to hear from God and I don't know, did that like. Yeah.
0: I think you, we need both. We mm-hmm. we definitely need a discipline, and and in our notes we're probably not going to have time to get to it. But I have a section in there on study because that is an important spiritual discipline where we look at Scripture and go through it carefully in order to glean from it all that God has in there. So there there is an important aspect of our spiritual life that involves a deep, you know, systematic, you might say, organized. Uh, looking and studying of Scripture, um, and there's an overlap because a lot of times what we learn from that we then need to meditate on, right? The problem is when we when we study and only study, we just stop at after gaining the information, but we don't meditate on it. Then it doesn't find its its application and its its sort of place in our lives, right? So we've learned all of the you know, ways that Jesus taught about prayer, right? For example, we studied that. We spent two months going through this study about all the things that ways Jesus prayed and taught about prayer. And when we were done, we got a lot of good insight and information, but if we haven't applied that into our lives and really incorporated it into our being, what's the point? So meditation takes us to that next step. It allows us to move from study into deep, personal, transforming, you know, application. So yeah, I, I incorporate the two of them a lot together. Like I'll study, like I was doing in the journal, I was going through Matthew, the book of Matthew. I was just reading it from chapter one to the end, and I was writing down what I learned, and then the insights gave me, and then I would meditate on that. Hey Lord, what does this really mean? how How can this affect and impact my life? What are you trying to say to me with this information? And then I would write down what that meditation was, and that was different than necessarily just the information of the study. Okay, so yeah, I think that you, we need both. We've often been heavy on the study end of things in our Christianity, you know, but weaker on the on the meditation part of it. You
2: know, one thing it seems to in the the church that at least the churches I've been in, there's not a real comfort level with quietness. There's always the organ or the piano or the singers or there's something, but I don't feel like in my Christian life being brought up to appreciate the quietness. Uh If we're having quiet time, well, it's like, you know, a minute or, you know, somebody's (coughs) got to say something or play or sing or something. And so to really... Appreciate and be, and be trained in the value of just being quiet, and being still. Yeah. Even in our churches.
0: Right. Very true. Uh, a couple of y'all have just mentioned the difficulty of scheduling. And I would say, um, don't feel like you have to lock yourself into a particular, you know, schedule for the rest of your life or even for that long. I think you need to always be looking for the right time to dedicate, and it may move a lot. So, and and I don't, to me it doesn't necessarily have to be in the morning. There's lots in Scripture that talks about the morning, actually. But there's also things in Scripture that talk about the evening, the night watches. Mm-hmm. I think... You need to experiment and try different things until you kind of find the time that fits for you and your particular schedule that you're on. Um, and I think it does need to be a time when you, when you hopefully can have your brain and your body as, you know, rested as possible, uh, as able to engage the Creator of the universe rather than having completely exhausted from a long day and then say, okay, now I'm going to try to. You know, meditate. Um, so I think there is there's thought to when it makes sense, but I think you just need to try sometimes until you find one that seems to work. But it does take discipline. You just you just have to to let some things go in your schedule. You know, I mean, if all of us gave up even you know one TV show a day, that would probably give us an hour. <laughs> Gosh, you know we. Sometimes we'll, we'll sit down and watch a show and it's kind of like, where'd that hour go?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we don't even kind of count it into our day. But if I just gave up that show, I could have spent that time with the Lord. So we, do, we just need to look at our lives and say, you know, when when am I going to make this a priority? It's like a marriage relationship, really. Those of you who are married know that if you're going to maintain and grow in a marriage relationship, you've got to spend time together. <laughs> and it's got to be time dedicated to your relationship of talking and engaging at an intimate level, right? Or that marriage relationship isn't going to work. It's the same with the master of the universe. He wants to have a love relationship with us. He, and for a love relationship to work, it's got to have time together, just the two of you. And so that's what we're talking about. Other thoughts or examples, questions?
2: I think that's one of the most liberating things I've heard is for you to say that, make it work for you, because there's so much teaching, first thing in the morning, and get up, and like, okay, that doesn't always work, and Uh sort of hear you say it won't always be the same all the time. Okay. All right. All right. It's good to hear that.
0: Well, let me say one other than more, even more radical thing mm-hmm. that I don't want anybody to get me in trouble for. <laughs> it may not be every day.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, that's really going against yeah. Christian teaching, right? you got to have this every day. But I'm saying it needs to be regular. My, uh, this is my opinion. It doesn't have to be every day, it, but it needs to be regular. It may be that your schedule is that you have your, this kind of a quiet time, you know, four or five days a week, but not seven days a week. I think that's okay, as long as you're faithful to that schedule, right? And obviously, the days that you're not having a time like this, I'm not saying you're somehow, you know, not engaging with God. Right. We still, we're, we're, as believers, we're called to be in communion with Him all the time, to to be walking in, in obedience to Him. But but in a set aside specific time that you intensely focus on, you know, communing with Him. Uh, it may not be every day. For a season, maybe just whatever's going on. I think it should. it, it it's best to be every day. It's you should strive for that. But don't beat yourself up if it turns out to be something that you do regularly, four or five times a week, maybe.
3: And that comes from I think the motivation. If you put it on yourself to you're going to do that, and then it becomes more of a process instead yeah. of a real intimate time mm-hmm. where you're focusing. To yeah, me, that's the difference. Is it becomes um, you know more of the obligation. That's a different feeling when you go into it. And kind yeah. Of quality over, you know, schedule, how many times I do it. To me, right. I get distracted if I get focused that strictly on it. Even if, if, if I do, I realize I lost when I, yeah. when I really take the time to focus and commit to it. Wholeheartedly, I get so much out of
0: it. Yeah. And I, I can warn you, too, that when you start this process, you won't be satisfied with the amount of time that whatever you d- you decided to set at the beginning. Say you went with the twenty minutes, you you will not last. Twenty minutes will not do it. You will need more time because this kind of communion with God is so refreshing and so invigorating and um, life giving that you, your your twenty minutes are going to be gone in like a minute. It's going to feel like and you're going to need more time. So just be warned that starting this process is going to mess you up. <laughs> mess you up bad, okay? You are going to have to modify your life, right? You're going to have to get up earlier or do something because this time with God is just it's life-giving. And and 15 or 20 minutes is just not going to hack it after a while. I mean, start with something manageable, but realize that you're you're really if if you're really going to encounter God, you need to be willing to drastically modify your schedule. <laughs> okay, um, let's just look up a couple passages, and then we're going to wrap it up here, and I, I'm not going to even get through the worship, prayer, and study time, but please feel free to read that when you can. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Cassie, you got that? Yeah.
4: 2
0: Corinthians chapter 10. Yeah, verse 5.
4: We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ.
0: Right. Actually, read verse 4 and then 5, both of those together.
4: The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ
0: yeah so that that that's where things happen right is it's in it's in taking thoughts captive <clears throat> that's where the enemy tries to have power in our lives is by having us believe lies and then be controlled by that lie that belief that we have. And so what he's saying here is that we are taking these speculations, right, and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God, meaning strongholds, lies, and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's what happens as we discipline ourselves as we learn the devotional life and meditation is is we we slowly begin to Uh, destroy the lies that have been operating in our lives right? and the power that they've had over us and how we think and what we believe by filling our minds with truth with the words of God with communion with Him and He can bring out those things so it's so important because this is how we do spiritual warfare this is how we grow in Christ this is how we mature and become more like Him the fruits of the Spirit become part of our personality all the aspects of the Christian life really are buoyed and encouraged and grown in this process of meditation and walking in intimacy with him it, so um, beware of the obstacles and we've ar- <clears throat> excuse me we've already talked about a lot of these obstacles but I'll just mention um, well I have to write them down busyness right? Just being too busy is a huge obstacle. Um, constant input, what Tom was talking about Sunday, just the media blast around us. Always needing input, input, input. You know, we get in the car, what are the first thing we do? Turn on the radio or you know, put the headphone. I mean, we're just constantly, we've been trained to have input, input, input. And I'm saying one of the secrets to this discipline is to shut down all that input. <coughs> From the outside, and let God be the input, right? Let Him be the one that's speaking to us. So that's that's an obstacle. This desire to always have stuff coming in. Um, what, you know, if, if if we're at home for 10 minutes with nothing to do, we flip the TV on, right? Because we just well, what's going on? You know, well, try not doing that. <laughs> um, anxiety is another obstacle. Um, Just worrying, worry, worry, worry. We constantly have in our playing in our minds, you know, these conversations of what could happen. Oh, he might say that, and then I might say this, and then they might say that, and and then this might happen, and then that. You ever have those? You know, your mind just is constantly going with all these anxieties of what things that might happen. They haven't even happened, but we're envisioning them all in our minds. And then we worry about them. Well, what if this? Oh, yeah. And so we spend the next ten minutes, you know, building the scenario in our minds of this thing that could happen because we're worried about it. So that is a distraction of the enemy that he uses effectively to get us off track of having this communion with God where He can speak to us. So practice that discipline of turning that anxiety over to God in a prayer and then leaving it there and letting the Lord speak. Instead of having to try to figure it all out in your head, another obstacle is just simply be- not believing that you can hear God's voice. You know, that that can be an obstacle. Just simply unbelief. I'm not worthy. I'm you know I'm not. Uh, you know I I'm not spiritual enough somehow to hear God's voice. Those are lies. Okay. <clears throat> Meditation is an act of the will. It's really going on the offensive. People don't think about meditation as going on the offensive. You know, they think about it sort of passive. You know, you sit with your legs crossed and a candle burning or something, right? But meditation is actually going on the offensive because it's an act of your will, in which you're, you know, engaging a discipline of your mind to to really bring into your heart what your head knows. That's what that's what you're doing when you're meditating. You're bringing a revelation down into your heart. And that, that is a, an offensive, going on the proactive offensive move in the kingdom. Okay, let's, uh, let's cover some attributes. I said I would give you some aspects that I felt like are kind of markers of the characteristics of, of hearing the voice of God. These are not in your notes either, so if you want them, you'll need to write them down. Um, I wrote seven. Seven attributes and characteristics of the voice of God, our shepherd. One is there's a peacefulness about it. Or I would say a quiet quietness. It's not a shouting, chaotic kind of sense or input or voice. Um, When God speaks, He's usually, um, you know, I don't know. You could say gentle. Um, Not that He's not always. (laughs) Sometimes He says something quite abruptly and to me and and something i need to really repent of but there's never a harshness or condemnation to it i would say that it's it's always a, there's a, a quiet peacefulness and gentleness to it even if it's quite distinct um, and that's the second thing i would say is that, that it's simple and profound usually succinct, it's usually not long, succinct means um, to the point, no extra added stuff right there to the issue. Um, so yeah, simple, not convoluted or complex really, not usually long paragraphs of theology. Uh, but usually, very simple and profound and to the point kinds of things that that the Lord just puts into my heart that I know are from Him. Oftentimes, it is Scripture. You know, it's a verse that just hits the moment, or hits the issue I'm meditating on, or the issue I'm praying about. Um, how do I say this? It's pure clean, and holy. Um, Yeah, there's just something about when God speaks. There's purity (laughs) and cleanness about it. It's just, you know, holy. It's a holy word. it's accepting, not condemning. This is sometimes hard for us to grasp because we are the first to condemn ourselves and not accept ourselves. Uh, but you know the whole the whole point of, of the book of Romans, remember we were talking about how Paul wrote this incredible thesis and then ended up with application. But when you get to the end of the book of Romans, chapter 15, Paul summarizes things with this verse. He says, Therefore, this is chapter 15, verse 7, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God, the whole point of the book of Romans is all these people were thinking, well, you know, they're not good enough because they're not keeping the law, or they can't be accepted by God because they're Gentiles. Or, you know, he was trying to, to explain that this gospel of the good news of, of Christ is for everybody, anywhere, no matter what station of life you're in, no matter what your background is, your ethnicity, anything. This is for all of us. And then he's dealing with problems in the church of people not accepting one another and riot, fighting and all this. So, and he, so he ends up his book by saying, accept one another. That's the whole point. God accepted us. He accepted us. doesn't mean he's happy with the way we are right now, right? <laughs> God is never satisfied with the status quo. He's never satisfied with the status quo. He's always pushing us to more and more transformation. So he's always working in us to move us along but that has nothing to do with how he accepts us. He accepts us no matter where we're at, what we're doing. We're his child. It's just like my son. My son is my son. No matter what he does, what he screws up and you know, did when he wasn't thinking one day, he's still my son. I accept him. Now, I'm not happy with when he disobeyed in school and had to get disciplined, but that has nothing to do with me accepting him, he's my son, right? So this is the way it is in the kingdom, and we have a hard time accepting others, (laughs) and sometimes even accepting ourselves. So the, the the Word of God to us is accepting in that way, right, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean it's condoning necessarily maybe what we're doing. Sometimes the Word of God can be, stop that, right? but that's still accepting. You're my son. Don't do that. Right? That's accepting but not condemning. Or if I've done it, it's like why? <laughs> you know, what did you think was going to happen? So there's there's not there's an accepting not condemning. Does that make sense? We are the ones that usually end up being the condemning ones, unfortunately. Um, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, It's never contradicting God's word. So God is not going to speak to you in a med- time of meditation you know, and tell you to be dishonest at work or to cheat on that form, right? You can't get away with that. You can't say, well, God told me to go ahead and, and tell them that I you know, um, had a degree in such and such so I could get that job. You know. He told me it would be okay. No, He's not going to do that. He's not going to contradict His character and His revealed Word of God. So, uh, you can tell you know, if the word you're getting is really from Him or not from Him, sometimes just by how it lines up with Scripture. Um, two more. I would say that it's usually very practical. It fits your life. fits you, practical and personal. Oftentimes, you know, the, like I was saying earlier, the word that the Lord may speak to me is just something about my day that I'm having. Not necessarily that profound, but definitely fits the day I'm having and what uh, what I'm going through. And then I would say lastly is it's fatherly. And I say that in the godly sense of fatherly, not necessarily based on your own experience of a, of a bad father or an absent father. It's fatherly in the good sense of someone who cares for you and loves you and is a father for you, who you are a child to. Usually when God speaks, He speaks to us as a father can kind of recognize that, you know, in how he's how he's speaking. Any others that y'all maybe want to add to the list that, that you've experienced? Not just the right occasion for the particular thing that it it's about.
3: It seems a lot of um, organized, but it never seems organized until after you see the end. <laughs> but you can see that there is a purpose for. it yes. You can't understand the purpose at the time. I used. To, I got north. That was one word. It was north. And it was very short. I was like, "North." It's a little frustrating. So I was like, "What am I supposed to do with that?" And then it was that conversation of, and I was so frustrated over. It was very. I knew that was what it was, but it was that that could be anything. And um, but anyway, it was like, "Don't worry about the details." It'll. It like it's, Don't worry. <coughs> Trust me. Yep. And he just gives enough to get you to the uh, to the next place. And then at the end, you can say, "Oh." Right. In it, it all makes sense makes, in the long yeah. run, But to
0: trust initially each yeah. step. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's not. How, how would we say that? So. Um, uh, it's uh, requires faith. Because it's not all inclusive you know it's not all there laid out for you it's it's a piece at a time that, that you have to go with and trust and walk through okay let's take the last few minutes and just take a look at this uh, closing thoughts on meditation don't don't get discouraged if nothing seems to be happening at first. God values perseverance and promises to meet with us if we faithfully and earnestly seek Him. Yeah. I mean, there. this is not a formula that we can sort of fit God into a box, okay? And say, well, Lord, I'm going to do these things, and then you have to do these things, Okay. I mean, we're talking about a human to God, a person to person relationship. And so, if it seems as if you're maybe not getting anywhere at first, don't give up. I think God likes to be pursued. (laughs) So, let's pursue Him. It's kind of like when you're, you know, got that first girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh takes a little pursuit. Insights will come to you as you meditate. Don't be surprised if they're very practical and relate to average things going on in your life. We talked about that. Um, test insights or words against Scripture. We talked about beginning a journal. Write down the insights God gives you, even the ones you're not sure about. Later on, you may see them more clearly. There's great encouragement in going back and reading how God has led you and what He has shown you. And then don't get hung up on the imagination aspect. We read that passage in 2 Corinthians. Meditation is the means by which we learn. Well, actually, we didn't read that verse, did we? 2 Corinthians 4, um, Let's Let's look at that real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look at the things which are seen, well I'm sorry, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, we we live our spiritual lives in a spiritual realm. So we are engaging with things that are not seen, but they are the things that matter. Meditation is the means by which we learn to look at the things which are not seen. And let our minds dwell on what God's reality is, the eternal. And then eventually, meditation will not be an event that you do at a certain time of the day, but a way of living and growing and walking by the Spirit. That's the whole point, right? Is that biblical meditation isn't something relegated to a particular block of time in a day. Biblical meditation is a way of living our lives tuned in to him, you know, dialed into his frequency, you might say, to where he can speak at any moment if he wants, and say whatever he needs to say. And we know it. Isaiah sixty six verses one through three, I'm gonna finish with this with this passage. Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest for my for my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord, but to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word so that's that's our goal right It is not to become puffed up or proud of the fact that we somehow have this amazing, you know, relationship with God. We hear from God it's to realize that the closer we press into him, the more this passage becomes real to us. Wow, he's awesome. Who am I? I am humbled and I tremble at your word. And the beauty is that that's the person God says he wants to draw near to. He's not interested in drawing near to the proud. You know the arrogant, the self-righteous, one who thinks they've got it figured out. He's looking for folks like us who just go, "Huh, (laughs) Lord, (laughs) help!" You know, "I need you." That's who he wants to commune with. It's very encouraging. Um, We had a we had a parrot for a while in our house named. Eugene, actually, after the Adventures and Odyssey series, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had lots of animals named after those guys. Anyway, this parrot was named Eugene, and if you've ever had a parrot, you know that parrots are constantly requiring and demanding input, attention. You have to serve them all the time. You have to be doing stuff with them, or they literally go crazy. You know they do. They pluck out their feathers and 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 they they go crazy. But a parrot demands this kind of constant interaction and attention from its owners. And so we had that experience. You know we had a parrot, and that's why we didn't have that parrot for very long, (laughs) because it was too overwhelming. Because they get mad if they don't get the attention they want, and they start squawking real loud, and uh, gets goes downhill from there. Um, so, then we also had a rabbit that we call Snuggles, and we've had several rabbits over the years. Um, they're all lop-eared rabbits. Have you ever had a lop-eared rabbit? They're totally different than the, I don't know, the other rabbits that the ears stick up. But a lop-eared rabbit is like, kind of like a, a gentle house pet. You can domesticate them, and they're happy in your house. Uh, You can have them just almost like a cat, but they're actually, I think, more uh, loving than a kitty cat, even. Anyway, we had this rabbit named Snuggles, and that's what he loved to do. He would just hop up on the couch and just sit with you, you know. And all he wanted is just to sit with you. And you'd pet him and scratch his ears, and he was happy. I mean, if he could have purred, he would have purred, you know. (laughs) But I just I'm reminded of the contrast between these two animals that we had, that parrot that just demanded attention and constant input and interaction, and then Snuggles who just wanted to be with you and just sit. And I just thought, you know, the Lord used that to help remind me of the way that I need to be, because I'm often like, you know, the parrot, that I'm just constantly needing interaction and input and attention and all kinds of stuff has to be happening around me or you know, And I'm drawn, unfortunately, to be that way a lot of times, and I don't like it. But I want to be like Snuggles, right, where I'm just happy to be with the Lord and just sit with Him and be quiet and let Him do whatever He's going to do, and I'm just there. I'm with Him. And that's what we need to do, right? We need to be like the Snuggles kind of person, <laughs> I guess you could say, Right? of being content just to be in the presence of God and not having to have all this input constantly brought to us. So that's my prayer for, for us all is, is that we, through meditation, you know, we can be that, more that way, like Snuggles and not like Eugene. Even though I love Eugene from Odyssey. But <laughs> Okay, well I'm going to pray and then if you guys want to hang out and ask more questions or give thoughts, feel free. But if you need to head out, that's that's good too. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, being with us today. And thank you for the pleasure of your presence. And uh, we just ask that you would uh, continue to, to draw us to yourself, to help us to learn how to rest in you and be content in your presence. And uh, know and be known by you. We just uh, commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.